0: Welcome to another episode of What's Working. I'm Cam Marston. Our focus, workplace, workforce trends. We comb the nation to find the people that can talk about these trends. And if you're a regular listener to the program, you're aware that for the, let's say, the opening series of shows, the focus was workplace and workforce experts, people that I had met through my travels and my seminars who I'd uh, shared conferences with and things like that who had an interesting take on the workplace or the workforce. And I've utilized those people to to what I think is thus far some really good content. If you're a regular listener to the show, you'll realize that we've kind of transferred that. We're now no longer focusing on the workplace and workforce experts. We're working with the people in the workplace and workforce, particularly the people in leadership positions who are having to make some tough decisions around the trends that we've discussed in the first half of the show, or the first uh, 20-some-odd episodes. And today will be no exception. Here's the story, and I was not aware that this was going on, yet it was laying out right in front of me at the time. The year 2007-2008, you'll remember those, as the year the Great Recession really settled in. The banks at that time, particularly the big banks, were saddled with bad debt, mortgages that couldn't be repaid, etc., bad debt. And during that time, those banks had to freeze all loans. They simply couldn't loan money due to the market conditions and due to the bad debts and perhaps even some government regulation at the time. What this created, and I was unaware of the opportunity that appeared, was an opportunity to begin new banks. New banks that could lend money to those who were doing the right things in 2008 and nine and 10, whose businesses were growing, who had a purposeful use for capital and needed to find uh, a loan. And upsprung a new market of banks, smaller, more nimble, more agile, fewer people in the bank, yet tremendous deposits compared to the fewer people. Not branch oriented banks, but people-facing oriented banks. And those banks sprung up to fill a void. And they have done, from what I can tell and what we'll learn today, quite well. Today, we're gonna talk about the banking business. We're gonna talk about the trends shaping the banking business. And our focus is gonna be the small sub-regional to regional banks that have gained a fantastic toehold. Service First Bank, is headquartered in Birmingham. However, they have offices throughout the Southeast, and we're gonna focus particularly on the Mobile office. This is where I know those people. Service First Bank has done particularly well, and I'm eager to get into the challenges and the trends that are shaping that bank with Bib Lamar, the CEO of Service First here in South Alabama, and Alex Arendahl, Director of Commercial Lending for Service First. We'll listen to banking trends from these two gentlemen's point of view when we come back. You're listening to What's Working with Cam Marston.
1: Recognized by Business Alabama as a top-tier CPA firm, Russell, Thompson, Butler, in Houston has served small businesses and individuals along the Gulf Coast since 1987 with consistent quality and service. Russell Thompson Butler in Houston is a full service CPA firm, specializing in accounting and auditing services, tax planning and preparation, business valuations, along with general business and financial consulting. To learn more, rtbh.com.
2: What's working with Cam Marston is brought to you by Stella Artois beer. Stella Artois is a perfect beer for celebration, Nothing caps off a big sale, hitting your incentive goals, or a profitable quarter like a round of Stella's. Brewed first in 1708 as a special Christmas brew, today Stella is a gift for everyone to enjoy year-round. Stella Artois. Find it wherever fine beer is sold.
0: This is Cam Marston. You're listening to What's Working with Cam Marston. I've got Alex Arendahl and Bib Lamar with me, executives at Service First Bank. Bib is the president and CEO of, is it safe to say, the Mobile Marketplace? Mobile and Baldwin. Mobile and Baldwin uh, Marketplace. And Alex, what is your title, Alex? I Senior Vice President of Commercial Banking. Thank you guys for being on. I appreciate this. You're welcome.
3: Glad to be here.
0: The banking industry, as much as any else, is undergoing extraordinary change, and I would say it seems to me that most of it is being driven by technology. There's an extraordinary amount of technology changing the banking business, whether it's me being able to deposit a check using my phone or the next generation of banker wondering, not banker, but customer, wondering why people need to ever even go into banks anymore. Describe to me what technology is doing to your industry. Bib. we'll start with you.
3: Technology really allows for a consumer never to have to set foot in the bank if they wish not to. I do think that you're seeing a a decrease in the number of branches, and that's one of the philosophies of the company that we're with, Service First we are uh not dependent on branches like uh, larger banks we generally go into a market have a main office and one branch do the technology factor that is out there and it's worked really really well for us we're five years old in mobile and i think you'll see we have grown faster than any bank in town uh, relative to starting at zero and working up to where we are today.
0: So you don't think the loss of the, the branches is reducing the opportunity to make an impression on the customer from a branding point of view?
3: No. I, I think you need branches. I'm not saying you don't, but I don't think you need. For instance, in Mobile, some of our competitors have 15 or 20 branches. They, those are strictly retail-driven we do more commercial than we do retail, but we do have all the retail services. And banking, if you're going to wait for customers to come to you, you're not going to win. But we need to go to the customers.
0: Alex, what is the future of banking for the younger customer? They've grown up in a time of PayPal and Venmo, and they're probably uh, Apple Pay, for example. There are probably a dozen that I can't think of. How do they view banking differently than a previous generation? And what are you guys doing to stay relevant to them?
4: Well, I think there's certainly the, the adoption of technology is changing for, for the younger generations in that they want convenience. You know, They don't want to have to come and find a place to park and come into a, a, a bank and cash a check. Uh, and I think you know, they're not as dependent, at least coming into the, their, their banking life, on a relationship you know it's more how do I get my money from point A to point B the quickest and easiest I don't think that is necessarily eliminating the need for human touch I mean there's still or there will come a time when a relationship matters and they may not realize it now but they will realize it down the road and so I don't think we're anywhere near the point of getting completely away from human interaction at any generation um now, you know, what that means in the near term, you know, I think it will remain to be seen. But as these millennials and the next generation come along, as they start businesses, even, you know, they'll see that those those, uh, you know, the consumer and commercial are, are are connected. And, you know, you can't completely sever that. Uh, interpersonal relationship, especially when it comes to uh, unique situations, you know, because you don't know, you don't know you have a problem till you have a problem, and then how do I get it fixed? And that's where, uh, you know, I think the, the human
0: interaction is, is still important. One of the re- pieces of research that I've seen recently on the millennial generation, we're talking about the youngest people, is the lack of awareness of the value of social capital, uh, resume skills, for example, very high, uh, the ability to work technology and figure out how to utilize it to, to make your life easier, very high. But a lack of recognition that social capital of me knowing you and me knowing Bib and me knowing other people just like you all is not relevant to them. That social capital, though, is often what you rely on to generate new customers. Are you foregoing this generation until they get older, or are you trying to make inroads with them from a social capital point of view? Do you have a, even a strategy to, to talk about?
4: I think some of that remains to be seen. Like I said, I mean, a lot of these, this newer generation anyway, is their banking needs are not not complex. Like I said, they want to be able to make a deposit, move money from point A to point B. They don't have a lot of credit needs. They're not buying their first house. They're not, uh, you know, may have a credit card, but those, you know, those offers arrive in the mail every day. Um, And so it comes a point where, um, you know, yes, we want to establish a relationship early if we can. Um, But, you know, at the same time, I think, um, you know, there is a long-term outlook with, with, with any customer. And, you know, it's, it's, we have the tools in place, you know, and so, but are we blowing up marketing with that? No. Um, and so I think it, it's it's not trying to be all things to all people, for our company anyway. And, you know, these, the, the quote-unquote kind of non-banked, you know, are the, the Venmo users and PayPal users exclusively. But there'll come a day when, you know, they realize, they realize that, maybe it's not as safe it's not as secure these deposits aren't insured you know those those concerns will have to will have to come to the surface eventually and I think that's when you know a true
0: banking relationship will 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 be important. I, I hear the same, that once the balances in the account become significant, and that means something to different people of different ages, they'll want to know that it's insured. They'll want to know who the person on the other end is that's keeping an eye on these things. But you've been involved in the banking community in the, in the Mobile area, I know, for years. How do you stay fresh and relevant and up-to-date on a rapidly changing industry?
3: Well, I'm going to answer you a couple of ways. There's been over the years that I've been in banking, tremendous deregulation, i.e. different types of accounts. We can sell insurance. We can uh, do mortgages in-house on the secondary market. We can sell securities. Service first is strictly sticking to making loans and taking deposits. We don't get into those other fields. When I say deregulation, we also have seen increased regulation, whereby if you've done a mortgage lately, the paperwork is almost a ream thick before you get everything done, and you've got regulators on compliance issues that we did not have in the past. You've got regulators looking at your reinvestment in the low to moderate income areas. So. It's a whole gamut of things out there, but it's still a people's people business. And following up what Alex said, customers or clients want to be able to solve problems, but when they have a hiccup and they can't solve it, they want an Alex or a bib or someone they can pick up the phone and call and say, help me. And I think that's where we excel. Uh, we live on referrals, we don't do much advertising, and I think the key is finding the right people and putting them in the right spot. And I would put this group, we've got about 25 employees in three different locations all together and I think we've got the finest of the finest.
0: When you look into the future of banking, what's the next big thing? Alex, what am I, as the customer gonna see change? I mean, I think you, more technology. I mean, that's obviously
4: the, the way it's going. But um, I, I think you'll see you'll continue to see fewer branches, just in general, not just with service first or any particular bank. But I think you'll see fewer branches in general, um, and then you know more uh, more of the you know internet you know kind of driven transactional stuff. I think it's that's inevitable that it's going to go that way, just because the whole the whole world is going that way, it seems. Um, but I, you know, our you know our industry, I think, has probably been characterized maybe unfairly as a dinosaur uh, in this day and age, just because you know we're we're it's just a boring industry in general. You know, it's not something that's sexy or, or or a whole lot of fun, but it's a, it's something that nearly everyone needs, and I don't see that changing. Uh, anywhere, anytime soon.
0: I think, you know, you say it's sexy, I think, or, or boring, I think being able to deposit a check through taking a picture of it on my phone is the nearest thing I see to magic on a daily basis in my life. It's absolutely phenomenal that that can happen. And I and I, I show it to my father and say you should be able to do this and he's I don't know about that he's you know he's a little bit uncertain of the technology and frankly I was too but it's the coolest thing in the world you say it's boring I think it's pretty dang cool what? I think it's pretty dang cool that you can do that we've come a long way you, you have come a long way and I'm, I'm I'm grateful for it because as as you know I'm a branch banker I uh I I, I know the personalities in there. But I don't want to have to go there if I don't have to. So uh, reducing that travel time and that time by that that technology to me is wonderful. Folks, you're listening to What's Working with Cam Marston. I got Bib Lamar. I got Alex Arendahl with Service First Bank. We're talking about the trends in banking. I want to talk about talent when we come back.
1: What's Working with Cam Marston is brought to you by Russell Thompson Butler in Houston a full-service CPA firm specializing in accounting and auditing services, tax planning and preparation, business valuations, along with general business and financial consulting. For a CPA firm devoted to quality, give Russell Thompson Butler in Houston a call at 251-473-5550 or visit them on the web at rtbh.com.
2: What's Working with Cam Marston is brought to you by Stella Artois Beer. Now offering the purchase of the Stella Artois chalice, a beautiful stemmed glass with the Stella logo. The purchase of each Stella Artois chalice provides five years of clean water for someone in one of 13 developing countries around the world. Learn more at StellaArtois.com. Stella Artois. Find it wherever fine beer is sold. Think about how people really see you. The kid at the drive-thru just sees a coffee drinker.
4: Please pull forward.
2: Your local barista sees the person who loves a smiley face in their latte. See you next time. It's kind of the same way with insurance. Other insurance companies just see a customer. But a State Farm agent sees more. They see you as a neighbor. Your State Farm agent is here to get to know who you really are so they can help life go right. Call me, State Farm agent Allison Horner, and Mobile at 666-1616.
0: This program is also brought to you by my company, Generational Insights. We've been in the seminar business for 20 years, working with clients ranging from Fortune 500 executives to locally owned mom and pops, helping them improve their sales, their management, their recruiting and their retention. We give knowledge first and then build tools based on that knowledge that make people more successful at their jobs. And soon we'll add customer service training. Check us out at cammarston.com. folks. You're listening to What's Working. I'm Cam Marston. Let me give you information if you've got feedback for us or want to leave a comment. Uh, the way to do so is first the phone slash text number, which is 251-260-8100. Or email me directly, camcam at cammarston.com. You'll find this episode as well as a podcast on my website, cammarston.com. Across the top of the screen, you'll have the podcast link. And from there, you can find the show as well as others. Talk to me about staffing, Alex. We'll start with you and tra- trying to find the right people with the right talents. I mean, this is a the marketplace right now is desperate for talented people or even dependable people. Uh, the, the the links they'll go through to find people and what they'll pay them. We did a show on a uh, manufacturer out of Indiana who has like a their county has 2% unemployment and what they're doing to get and keep people is remarkable. What is Service First doing in this marketplace? How are you finding and keeping people and what are you looking for, what, which may make you unique in the marketplace?
4: Well, I think if you look at our company, it's certainly the name of the game is efficiency. And I think our is not not unlike our whole industry whether it's with technology or fewer branches or or whatever it may be it's how do you get how do you do more with less and so i think when we go out and look at our you know staffing needs or talent needs we look at people who can do more than one job you know myself for example i you know i've said i'm in commercial banking but you know it's it's not uncommon for me to walk in one day and you know i'm opening up a a A child's minor savings account for a customer or I'm working on a home equity line or a credit card it's I think flexibility and coming in with an open mind are 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 two talents that we're gonna you know want to look for um, just because no two days are alike and uh, we need people that can then kind of adjust on the fly and have a a broad skill set not just numbers and cents, dollars and cents or numbers on paper, but, you know, you got to have, you still, you know, we covered it a little bit earlier, you still got to have interpersonal skills and be able to, to, uh, you know, talk to customers and fill out their needs. And, and, um, you know, I think experience helps, uh, you know, to whether it's in sales, or whether it's in uh, an accounting field, or something along those lines, we kind of, we don't, we don't put out a, a job posting looking for that, that particular person because, you know, it's not rocket science. You can kind of coach someone who's coachable into a different role, even if they're hired for, you know, say a teller. We can coach them into, you know, what, what, what fits the needs of the bank.
0: Yeah, imagine for me you had a – I'm going to make something up on the fly here. It's a 25-year-old male or female. And they came to you and said, what do I need to do or be, or background do I need to have to become successful in your business? And they were gonna do everything you told them to do. And you had their absolute undivided attention. What would you tell them?
3: We would like them to have a financial background. Uh, the requirements would be that uh, you are a, a financial advisor to your clients. You have to be a salesman. You gotta be able to get out and knock on doors. Banking is no longer sitting behind the desk waiting on somebody to come to you. You got to be a problem solver for them. So it's a whole wide range of things that you need to do. And I will take it it down a a different way. Tellers have evolved over the years. I used to take deposits and cash checks. expectations of a teller in today's world is that they do those things but they also are able to solve problems they're also able to cross sell services etc you've got to be able to do a lot of other things and i think further what alex said all of us need to be cross-trained particularly we've got a small staff if I need to jump in the teller window and cash check for somebody, I can do it.
0: You know the system well enough to do it. You know how to do these things. Uh,
3: all of us are out there networking. That's another wonderful way to build a bank, to get involved in the community, do things that help the community. But at the same time, you're exposed to all sorts of different segments of the of the city. And, you know, it's been very successful. Again, we're referral driven more than ad driven we we don't do a lot of advertising alex referred to our efficiency which is we thrive on expense control and hiring the right people and that's that's really the key to it
0: alex anything else Yeah, i'll add one
4: thing i think more than anything with with those people that you know are the first impression is they have to be observant you know whether it's I recognize this customer, I know his name, or, um, you know, or I notice something even unusual. You know, with this day of fraud and things like that, if, if something, you know, they notice something unusual about an account, they just have to be constantly observant. And that goes into the sales part, too. They hear a, a customer having a conversation, you know, say he walks in on his cell phone and says, I'm, I'm going in the bank, I've got to do this, that, or the other. Uh, is that a need? You know, do they pick up on a need? And I think so, so being observant is certainly key in that role because they do have so much interaction.
0: What is a similar business to banking that we may not realize? And let me give you an example. Years ago, I used to work with a medical group and they were looking for a leader of the medical practice. This was down in Florida. There's nowhere near here. And they did a job search and realized that a hotel concierge has a very similar job description to a uh, medical practice leader, uh, the the practice manager. Because of the personalities that they deal with and demands put on them, these two had very similar jobs, Uh, a hotel concierge at a nice hotel and a medical practice manager. So they went out and began to recruit hotel concierges who were tired of... uh, hotel hours, for example, and had very great success finding people that could run their practice well. Are there similar industries in your business that you're aware of where talents would go from one place to the other fairly easily? Let's say a realtor or a, you know, I don't even know. I'm trying to, I'm giving you answers. I'm asking, should be asking the question. What is similar out there?
4: I think anything in sales and anything that requires. Uh, you know getting to know a potential customer Uh, whether it's you know a a real estate agent or an insurance salesman or uh, any of those products that require that are you know money is important to people you know going and buying a candy bar may not be right but money is something that you know matters to people and so you know when you're having those conversations you want to be uh, aware of that and so it, it 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 involves a little bit deeper dig into, you know, what are their needs and what's important to them.
0: What about loyalty, customer loyalty? Do you find that there is a uh, – are people loyal to their banks, let's say, like they are to, uh, I don't know, their favorite restaurant or to a, a sports team? Do they have loyalty and affinity to the bank the same way?
3: I think loyalty is extremely important, and I will say that I'm not really aware of any relationships that have come into Service First Bank here in Mobile that have gone elsewhere because they liked brand A better than us. I really don't. I mean, that's one of our things we pride ourselves on once we get a customer if we're attentive to them and we give them good service, I don't think they're going anywhere else.
0: Yeah. So it's uh as long as you don't do anything too drastically wrong, you're typically looking for a customer that's looking for a lo- to build a long-term relationship.
3: And you know, sell them an array of products or have them doing their mortgage with us, opening their child's first account, doing their uh credit cards, the whole nine yards. Uh, We've got everything and the more we sell them, the better our chances
0: of retaining them. Let's talk about the marketplace. Not just your customers, but people in general out there. I hear the term underbanked. I hear uh, financial literacy a lot. I saw a study recently for some work that we're doing that Most people, and I'm going to try to remember this, under the age of 35, consider themselves highly financial literate, but they only score two out of 10 on a financial literacy test. How much is awareness uh, a problem as well as an opportunity for an organization like yours to teach financial literacy and thereby they begin to value what it is that you offer? Alex? Alex? Yeah,
4: I, I think it's certainly important. And there's certainly a, the two out of 10 does not surprise me uh, because I, I've often wondered why they're not teaching basic concepts earlier and, and having more forums to do that. Um, but I think certainly we try to add value in, in, in that way. And we, when we speak to groups and, and, and not None come to mind in particular, but, you know, it. it is important just to provide a general education of banking and, and what we do offer, whether it's loans, deposits, or just, you know, I, I have had two customers come in in the last two weeks and said, hey, look at my personal finances and tell me what I need to be doing differently. Um, and it's not because they really don't know, but they just need reassurance. Uh, and so there's, there's all, all that goes into one day it may build a banking need
0: that we'll, that we'll be able to fulfill. So they, they hand you your ba- their bank accounts and their, their finances and tell me, what do I need to do differently? And I'm certain your answer is, well, you need more loans. <laughs> <know>? <laughs> Wouldn't that make sense? Yeah, it'd save a little more money. That's right. That's right. That's amazing. So these people realize they have a vulnerability but they don't know what it is there might be something that they don't know
4: i think it but you know it, it helps every now and then for everybody to sit down and reassess things but i think that generally uh and this was two different generations i'm talking about yeah this was a 70 you know, year old man and a 40 year old man yeah
0: and, and so uh i i don't think it's unique to the 35 and under right right all right well we're going to come back i want to talk a little bit more about that marketplace and the way you view uh, that, that a very strategic, a very competitive organization like yours looks out over the marketplace and what it is that they see and the opportunity they see. You're listening to What's Working. We'll be right back.
1: You've probably heard about the new tax laws for 2018. It can be daunting to interpret the laws and nearly impossible to determine the implications for your business. That's where Russell Thompson Butler in Houston comes in. With over 30 years of experience, RTBH offers full-service accounting and financial planning for businesses along the Gulf Coast. To learn how RTBH can help you make sense of the new tax plan, visit the website at rtbh.com.
2: What's Working with Cam Marston is brought to you by Stella Artois Beer. Now offering the purchase of the Stella Artois Chalice. A beautiful stemmed glass with the Stella logo. The purchase of each Stella Artois chalice provides five years of clean water for someone in one of 13 developing countries around the world. Learn more at StellaArtois.com. Stella Artois. Find it wherever fine beer is sold. Think about your home. What do you see? Do you just see two stories or the stories of your toddler's first steps? Now think about your car. Do you see an odometer reading or your kids reading in the back seat? Other insurance companies just see a house. They just see a car. But a State Farm agent sees what your home and your car really mean to you. So why not give them the protection they deserve? You can reach me, State Farm Agent Allison Horner, at allisonhorner.com.
0: This program is also brought to you by my company, Generational Insights, We've been in the seminar business for 20 years, working with clients ranging from Fortune 500 executives to locally owned mom and pops, helping them improve their sales, their management, their recruiting and their retention. We give knowledge first and then build tools based on that knowledge that make people more successful at their jobs. And soon we'll add customer service training. Check us out at cammarston.com. You're listening to What's Working. I'm Cam Marston. I have Bib Lamar. I have Alex Arendahl. We're talking the banking industry, trends shaping the banking industry. These two gentlemen are both from Service First Bank. Interested in your thoughts on the show? 251-260-8100. Leave me a message or send me a text there. My email address is cam, C-A-M, at cammarston.com. This show is available as a podcast at cammarston.com. Look across the top of the screen. You'll find the podcast link. And there you can get several different options on where to listen to it, how to listen to it, where to download it, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm curious, as I drive around town, and regardless of it's Mobile, where we're based, or whether it's the other cities where this is being broadcast, there seems to be a dance of banks that are coming into towns that are showing up. There's all the old stalwarts that we know have been there that have merged and gotten together over the years, but there must be... People that look on, let's just talk Mobile for a moment, this marketplace and see something that makes them want to set up a footprint here. What does an outsider looking in see in a community that makes them want to set up a footprint in that community when it comes to banking?
4: I think certainly some of the economic development news in a town like Mobile helps. I mean, that draws attention to where, uh, you know, banks in neighboring states see it as a natural Uh, geographic progression if nothing else but you know at the same time you've seen a shift in some of the larger national banks away from a you know a secondary or tertiary market like a mobile you know they're going to be focused on the higher population centers primarily in retail Uh, so in a town like mobile where you've got a lot of locally owned small businesses that have unique needs where a community bank may fit be a better fit and and so i think you know you're seeing a little bit of that shift to where community banks see an opportunity well i can pick off this low hanging fruit from these bigger banks who've kind of just turned their back on um you know mom and pops down the street and who still have you know an intimate banking need
0: so it's uh it's it's the uh, a vacuum, essentially. They see a vacuum created when the bigger banks are rolling up their carpets and moving into the tier one cities, and they want to come in and get a toehold there due to that vacuum. Is there really a vacuum? I mean, you guys and the other competitors in your marketplace would seem to not want the perception that these customers are untended. Is that right?
4: I think that's right. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, uh, there's there's plenty of business to go around, too. And, you know, I, I, I don't feel like a town like Mobile is necessarily overbanked because each each one has a unique set of relationships. And so we may, we may not be going after the same one that, you know, ABC Bank down the street is going after. Everybody kind of tends to have a different philosophy and a different uh, niche of clients. Now, there's obviously going to be some overlap um, with all of them. But, you know, I think everybody sees different opportunities depending on. Who their, uh, who their bankers are.
3: Bill, what do you think? I think, uh, go back to the recession, that's right before the recession, there was a wave of merger acquisitions. Bank stocks got priced at extreme multiples, so there were a lot of banks that it was easy to pick off if your stock or currency, whatever you want to call it, was trading at an a extremely high area. When the recession hit, that caused some additional banks to be sold that had excessive credit quality problems. The regulators at that time uh, said no more de novo banks, but de novo new charters. So for four or five years, there were no new banks formed in Alabama. Recently, approval was granted to start one in Birmingham, and that came out of another bank up there being purchased by an out-of-state bank, I believe. I can, no, I think it might have been an interstate state merger. But anyway, a group of those people got a charter, raised 35 or $40 million, started a new bank. I understand there's another charter that may be coming about in the northern part of the state. Uh, so you're starting to see that. But what you got in Mobile is you've got a lot of Mississippi and Louisiana banks wanting to come into Alabama, uh, Birmingham is robust, Huntsville, Mobile with the diversification of, you know, the, the ships and the airplanes, et cetera. It's very attractive for these banks to get a footprint in Alabama. The growth is more attractive. So if you look in Mobile, particularly there are a lot of Mississippi banks. You've got a Hancock-Whitney that's in here. They came in here a while back, but Still, it was a natural progression, and then they go over to Florida, and I think you will continue seeing some of that. Banks like Service First. We feel like we can customize our products and our talents to meet what your needs are. I think the bigger the bank, sometimes they have to operate with certain parameters, and it's either you do it this way or we can't do it for you. And that's what we love because we try to do it for.
0: Let me ask you a, a, a kind of a loaded question. You talk about the regulation and the de novo bank. I, I, this is obviously a very regu- heavily regulated industry. Is there one regulation that, if you could get whomever to rescind, would change everything you do? Ah,
3: uh, compliance is so overregulated, uh, particularly in the mortgage area. On
4: the consumer side, yeah.
3: And it came about, if you look at all the, I call them past sins of mortgage lending prior to the recession, lending money uh, with no verification of uh, wages, they were lending 120, 130% of appraisal or cost. And when the recession hit, things were worth maybe 20 or 30 cents on the dollar that had been lent. So, it has gotten totally over-regulated uh, from choosing appraisers to the underwriting, the whole nine yards. And the paperwork is voluminous. It
0: is voluminous. I can speak to that personally. You just need a, you need a physical therapist in there. To work your arm and your hand for so many signatures of anything that you get, uh, yeah, I got to uh, you got to go to workers comp after you've uh, uh, signed re- your Who loan. reads all that. <laughs> so, so, who's written it is, is yeah. just as good of a question. And I
4: think regulation is well intended, but when you put it into practice, it can be quite
0: counterproductive. Who is who is responsible for that? What is the department in our nation or state? This is what I don't know. Who's responsible for that? That's a good question because you've Congress, got
4: so, so many regulatory. Yeah, you have got agencies. Congress,
3: and supposedly they work hand in hand with the regulators, but the Dodd Frank Act, for instance, that comes out of Congress. Yeah.
4: but you've got FDIC, you know, SEC, OCC, uh, you know, you name it, and that's it. All the right hand doesn't necessarily talk to the left hand, and so you get layers that you know may not have been intended, but end up impacting not just our day-to-day jobs, but the consumers, too.
0: It's uh, remarkable. You're right about that. Let's let's talk about uh, one of the things banks are most known for, at least historically, and that's holdups. I stick them up at the bank. Uh, I was listening to a radio broadcast today, and they were talking about Bonnie and Clyde, uh, the mythology that's developed around them. Uh you, the banks aren't cash-heavy like they once used to be. The, the, I, I can't remember the last time I went and actually got cash from a teller. Now an ATM, different, but inside the bank, it's been forever. Uh, what is, is there still a hold-'em-up, or a theft issue at bank like what there used to be, you know, in the, in the Wild West or anything like that? Uh, you certainly still see it i mean cuz
4: there're still criminals out there that will be that go for the the easy the easy strike but the risk reward there isn't quite what it is now the ones that have gotten smart have gone online and you see a lot of you know, cyber fraud is not uh not an uh, obscure term anymore it's everywhere uh and i think one of the things that we have to stay in front of is that is cybersecurity and information security uh in protecting our co- customers and putting in various tools uh you know to 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 mitigate some of that risk and you know I, now you see examples like um you know hackers getting into specific email chains with customers and interjecting themselves requesting wire transfers and um, you know it's if we're not aware and we don't have the necessary tools in place uh, to provide checks and balances before money goes out the door, uh, then we're putting ourselves and our customers at risk. And so I think as much of anything these days is what we're trying to stay on the leading edge of is is that kind of, you know, cybersecurity.
0: Is it all a technology investment to stay on the leading edge or is there an education to the consumer that you're trying to push too? I think it's two, twofold. Yeah. Yeah, so if I see something unusual it's it's incumbent upon me to reach out to somebody and say listen is this is this bonafide or something like that but i guess if you're good at cybersecurity it's not going to look unusual right
4: well that's right and, and there's no perfect solution either but i think awareness is very important especially as it relates to you know uh, fraudulent transactions because the sooner you can spot that the sooner you can uh you know either
0: recover it or prevent it from happening altogether. we had uh in our household a package show up not long ago full of vaping supplies and there's some skepticism going on in the household about who ordered this you know it's a he said she said type of thing and i but I think ultimately it was a very convincing credit card theft that they got the mailing address wrong because i uh, and i don't understand exactly how it happened but It surprised us, the depths of which they went in order to do this, the cleverness with which they used in order to do this, uh, shocked me. However, I get from you, this is not unusual anymore. They're
3: taking advantage, the, the crooks are taking advantage of the consumer and they sit there and tease them. They'll say, I'm from American Express, and you have a transaction. Would you verify it for me? And before you know it, they, they've gotten your social security number. They've gotten all your little passwords, and
4: this and that. And then they're fair game from there on out. So it's... And and I think what 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 the internet has enabled them to do is just strike in volume. And say they get a a one percent hit rate on these these fishing uh, expeditions, or uh, you know whatever it may be, well then they've won. Ninety nine percent of the people are going to be either protected or, or catch it in time to prevent it. But that one
0: percent, that's a win. When I lose money on my credit card, when my credit card has been stolen, and I immediately pick up the phone and call you all, let's say, and say, "I oh, it's stolen." There's a, I'm gonna make it up a two hundred dollar charge from something in somewhere that I've never been. I have nothing to do with it. Something takes place behind the scenes. What happens? Your card's
3: frozen immediately,
0: Who fr- and you freeze it. We there's not a it. federal or authority
3: that freezes it. No, we freeze it and issue another card.
0: Yeah, and is there any attempt to get that 200 back, or is it just gone? No, there's an attempt.
3: I think the bigger banks have large departments with no one in there, but security people that track these these crooks down. Uh, if you call us tomorrow and said, okay, I lost my card or somebody's gotten my number and there's a charge on it for $200, we are going to reimburse you.
0: Is that out of your bank pockets or is, yeah, do you have bank, an insurance
3: policy on that? Bank takes a loss on that. Yeah, yeah. There's,
4: it works a lot like insurance. You know, is 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 us chasing this $200 charge going to be worth a loss that we've probably offset some money? Ah, four. I see. Yeah. 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 Anytime we're issuing credit, we're going to be
3: Risk-reward, look at the rate. If you pay on time on a credit card, you'll see it's much higher than you could go borrow the money. That's because of the fraud issue. I see. That's how you pay for it.
0: So we all pay for it. Yes. It works through society. Gentlemen, we're up on time. I appreciate your insight into uh, the trends in the banking industry. I wish you the very best, Alex. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us, Bill. I appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. All right, folks, I'll be right back after this break. This is what's working with Cam Marston. <laughs>
1: Recognized by Business Alabama as a top-tier CPA firm, Russell, Thompson, Butler & Houston has served small businesses and individuals along the Gulf Coast since 1987 with consistent quality and service. Russell, Thompson, Butler in Houston is a full-service CPA firm specializing in accounting and auditing services, tax planning and preparation, business valuations, along with general business and financial consulting. To learn more, rtbh.com.
2: What's Working with Cam Marston is brought to you by Stella Artois Beer. Stella Artois is a perfect beer for celebration. Nothing caps off a big sale, hitting your incentive goals, or a profitable quarter like a round of Stella's. Brewed first in 1708 as a special Christmas brew, today Stella is a gift for everyone to enjoy year-round. Stella Artois. Find it wherever fine beer is sold. Life insurance is one of those subjects that make people want to change the subject rather than admit they probably don't have enough. I'm State Farm Agent Allison Horner, and that's why I focus on how the benefits of life insurance actually live on by asking people to think in terms of life without having to sell the house insurance or life without having to give up college insurance. Find out how the benefits of life insurance can live on for your family. Call me, State Farm Agent Allison Horner, and get to a better state with State Farm.
0: This program is also brought to you by my company, Generational Insights. We've been in the seminar business for 20 years, working with clients ranging from Fortune 500 executives to locally owned mom and pops, helping them improve their sales, their management, their recruiting and their retention. We give knowledge first and then build tools based on that knowledge that make people more successful at their jobs. And soon we'll add customer service training. Check us out at cammarston.com. One of the things that we'll begin to do on this show is a brief editorial at the end, commenting on some of the things we see in the marketplace and in the media that are relevant to the workplace and to the workforce. And one of the ones that slept out to me recently that needs attention is the blame put on the youngest generation in the workforce for the demise of things that other generations cherish. I'm looking at one right here that is something we blogged about on my website, which is the Millennials are responsible for the end of the novel. In other words, they're not reading novels anymore, and due to their consumption of media, their methods of consumption of the media, they are no longer reading novels. And the article goes into how the Millennials are responsible for the death of creative writing and all this kind of stuff, and it's just pure hogwash. They don't even consider the fact that the Harry novel, Harry Potter novels, blew off the shelves, that was largely the millennials that drove that. What's happening here, and is what has happened throughout history, which is one generation sees the following generation reject something that that older generation cherishes, and blames them from a lo- for a loss of culture, for a loss of curiosity, for a loss of intelligence. The earliest quote I can find about one generation disparaging another comes from Socrates in 400 and something BC as he looks at the next generation and calls them listless and lazy and disrespect for their elders. In other words, this has gone on over and over and over again of one generation disparaging the next. And it's happening in our society right now. Now, I will admit for a period of time, I was in the camp of looking at the next generation and say they'll never hold up. I would look at the next generation's workplace habits, workforce habits, grooming habits, music habits, etc., cetera, and it's easy to fall back into a condemnation of that behavior, whereas in truth, it's just simply what you and I did at the very same age as we chose the things important to us that may have been different from the previous generation. In other words, we've been here before. We will be here again. One of these days, the youth in our society will then be the older ones in the society, and they'll look back on the next generation with the same disparagement. I am a member of what's called Generation X. And as we entered the workplace in the, what was it, the late 80s, early 90s around there, we were disparaged the same way. In fact, the term Generation X often comes, the, the, the explanation the most often used, is no one knows exactly what my generation stood for or even stands for today. And just like in algebra, you have to solve for X. No one knows what X is, and you have to solve for it. So our generation was termed Generation X because no one knows who we are and had to figure out what we stood for. And that's how the title was given to Generation X. That's one of the many explanations for the title. And it was the baby boomers disparaging the Generation Xers. We don't know what you stand for. We don't know what who you are. We can't find any semblance of work ethic. And it was given to Generation X. They were disparaged at that time. And today, it's the Xers disparaging the millennials. And one of these days, it'll be the millennials disparaging the iGen. We've been here before, but there's no reason to fall into that trap. I think one of the most ludicrous things I've seen most recently about one generation disparaging the other comes from a story on Hooters, the restaurant. And it's saying that the Hooters restaurant franchises were having to close due to poor business across the nation. Not all of them, but many were closing due to, and hold on for this one, the millennials dislike for breasts. Yeah, you heard that right. They don't like breasts therefore Hooters is having to close. Hooters is closing branches. It goes into saying nothing about how the millennials are generally a more health conscious generation. There's very few things at Hooters that is gonna fall on a health conscious menu. And no other explanation other that it must be that our youngest generation doesn't like breasts, therefore there's something wrong with them. And I read that, I rolled my eyes. Another story recently about a company that's letting the next generation go home to matriculate their dog. Into new dogs into their home. They're calling it fraternity leave and disparaging workplace ethics because somebody wants to take fraternity leave. We've been here before. One generation disparaging the other. Don't fall in that trap. It's too easy to do. Don't fall into that trap. Love your comments on the show. I'd love your thoughts on my editorial. You can reach me at 251-260-8100. Leave us a message. That's our hotline. Email c a m -m 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 at cammarston.com. The What's Working with Cam Marston Facebook page. Enter that into Facebook and you'll find our page. Leave us a message there. I appreciate it. We'll have another show next week. Take care, everybody.